At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Well, good morning. Glad to see you. Great, you're he- grateful that you're here uh, today. We're going to wrap up this series that we have been in this, uh, this fall already uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark over Mark 3, 4, and 5. And we have been looking uh, at this portion of Scripture because in it, Mark asked a very profound question. It's a question I've asked several times throughout this series. The question is, who is Jesus? Who do you believe him to be? What do you think about him? What do you take in as far as his claims and his acts, his word and his works? Uh, We've entitled this series, Thy Kingdom Come, because Jesus makes no qualm who he he claims to be. He, he, He doesn't have any issue declaring and displaying that he is the king above all kings, that he is the sovereign son of God who has come to rescue and to save by his grace. We, we in the world that we live in, we must grapple with that question of who Jesus is. But oftentimes we come to that question with a whole host of various answers. Uh, in, in fact, the people of Jesus' day had a whole host of answers as well. Just as we seem to think of Jesus as maybe just a good moral teacher or, or some prophet, a, a philosopher or a, a a moral example for us to live by, the people of Jesus' day also had opinions about him. Marcus shared those opinions with us. Uh, You may remember back in chapter 3, the demons, they got it right. As Jesus confronted them, they proclaimed, you are the son of God. They knew full well who Jesus is and what he had come to do. They were terrified of him, rightly so. But, but human beings, we, we just don't get it. And so Jesus' family, his, his mother, even his brothers, those closest to him, they were the ones expressing the opinion that Jesus is crazy. He was out of his mind. He, he was teaching and leading, and the crowds were pressing in on him so much that he couldn't even eat. And his family, very concerned for his well-being, but also for their reputations, just decided Jesus is nuts. He's, he's, he's out of his mind, as they said it. And maybe that's an opinion that people have of Jesus today. He's just a lunatic. We have to take that into consideration or think about that. The religious leaders, the religious establishment, those with power who who, uh, led the people of Israel religiously to know and follow God, they had a different opinion of Jesus. Their opinion of Jesus was that Jesus was in fact a demon himself, or at least he was demon-possessed, and he came from Satan, mainly because Jesus was confronting and challenging them and their legalism, their religiosity, and their way of following God, which was far from the way of grace and far from the way of life. And so they saw in Jesus an opponent, an enemy that had to be crushed. And the question sits for us as well today. Maybe that's what some think of Jesus, that he's some evil person that that we should oppose completely. 
Really, the question sits in each one of our laps. It's something that you have to decide, that you must answer for yourself. And I think it's one of the most important questions that every human being has to come to terms with. Who is Jesus? But maybe to answer that question, we should think a little bit more deeply, once again, about what the evidence says about who he is. Maybe we should let the evidence stand for itself. Uh, Now, in chapter 4 and and here at the end of chapter 5, Mark has taken the time to tell stories about Jesus and who he is based on what Jesus does, his, his power, his activity, his work. Mark has shown us that Jesus reigns over nature and creation. The evidence of that was Jesus being in the boat with his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee, and a great storm comes upon them, and they're terrified. They think they're going to die. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they wake him up, and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves with a word, peace, be still, and the storm is stopped, and the waves cease, and there is peace. And and the disciples are just amazed, and they ask the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? That's maybe evidence or exhibit A in the case for Jesus, his authority over creation. But then Mark showed us, and we we heard this story and, and this message last Sunday, we saw that Jesus has authority. He reigns over the entire spiritual realm, the angels, the demons, the things invisible that we cannot see. And he reigns merely by the word of his power. He speaks. And so we saw Jesus encounter a man possessed by thousands of demons, a legion of demons, and by one word, Jesus saying, come out, He dispossesses the demon-possessed man of the demons and heals this man, puts him in his right mind, and redeems his life to command a thousand demons of great power and force. We have to ask the question, if Jesus can do that, what does this mean about who Jesus is? He has power over creation. He has power over the demonic realm. And in our passage today, we, we have to think one more time because there's an enemy that threatens every one of us. There's an enemy that touches very closely each of our lives, and it's an enemy that we all want to see eradicated and dealt with. It's the enemy of sickness and death. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to have authority over nature. It's another thing for Jesus to have authority over the spiritual realm. But when it comes to our own lives and the enemy of sickness, disease, and death, the breakdowns of our bodies to death themselves... I think it's fair for Mark to share with us a little bit about Jesus' power and his authority over disease and death if we're truly going to consider him God. So the final story in our series demonstrates what I think is the full scope of Jesus' authority and reign. If, If disease is something that touches every one of us in one way or another, if death is something that is certain for every single human being, Well, then if we're going to say Jesus is God and he has power and rules and reigns over all things, we got to know, can he back this up? So you might consider this evidence or exhibit C in the case for Jesus as God. And the ultimate reality of who Jesus is comes from the truth that Jesus does reign over disease and death. He is the victor over all sickness, illness, and death itself. And I tell you that because it's profoundly good news if you believe this account. Even if you don't want to acknowledge it, even if you don't want to talk about it, 
The reality is that our bodies are breaking down. We're all aging. We face sickness. Disease haunts us. And the reality is every one of us will die. Death has a perfect record. There's even friends, loved ones here in our congregation this morning that that are suffering from sicknesses and cancers and other health issues. Death cuts our lives short. But if we're proclaiming and saying, if if I'm telling the truth and saying that Jesus reigns over disease and death, then I think we have to ask what happens when Jesus deals with disease and death. When, When Jesus encounters disease, when he encounters death, In his own life and ministry, what happened? So here's how we're going to see Jesus' superiority and his authority in his reign and rule over disease and death. We're going to get a view in on Jesus interacting with people who are suffering from death and disease. And I want us to, as we we hear this story again, as as we immerse ourselves into it as best we can, I want us to think deeply about what this says. What does Jesus' actions here say about who he is? And what does that mean for our lives today? That Jesus rules and reigns over disease and death. So let's look together and see what happens when Jesus exercises his authority over disease and death. And the, the first thing I want us to see is that when Jesus deals with disease and death, human dignity is restored. When he encounters it and he says, I'm going to solve this, what happens is the, the shame that comes, the, the lack of dignity that is leveled upon humanity in disease, Jesus actually reverses and brings dignity. He restores those who he heals. Now, the event that we're looking at here in Mark 5, 21 to 43, actually has two events within it, two spectacular, amazing healings. But there's a tension to this story. So so let me get us into the tension, okay? I want us to feel uh, it just a little bit today. Uh, Just to give us a uh, recap here, Jesus has been on the uh, Galilee, I'm sorry, on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, the, the area where uh, non-Jews lived, uh, the Decapolis is what it's called, and that's where he healed the man possessed by a legion of demons, and, and that community, they did not love that Jesus came and did that, and so they tell him to leave, they run him off, and so he actually gets back in the boat and crosses over to the other side of the sea, back towards his home, and as he gets back onto the other side of the sea, of, of that lake there, Scripture tells us that again, the great crowd gathered around. There is a multitude of people that are there to see and to experience Jesus. And so they're there. Jesus is getting off the boat. The crowd amasses. You can just, you can just feel the busyness around him. And, and out of that crowd, Mark tells us, one individual comes. He's a, he's a very prominent man in that society. Just by, by the terms that Mark uses to describe him, he's a ruler of the synagogue. And Mark gives us his name, Jairus. Now, to be a ruler of the synagogue in that day and time was uh, a position that a lay person would hold. He wasn't a professional, religious, legal expert. He was just a person in that community who had a lot of credibility. He was a very high character individual, a very competent man. And his job as the ruler of the synagogue was to make sure that there was orderly worship on the Sabbath when they gathered together, that the facility was in, in good shape, and, and uh, that the people that were to come in and preach and, and read the scriptures were all set and ready. He was, he was kind of the executive director of the synagogue, if you will. He was highly respected, highly capable, and, and the fact that Mark shares his name, Jarius, tells us that he was a person in that community that it was, was of high esteem. People knew him. 
In fact, it's very likely that as Mark wrote this, the readers, uh, Mark's first readers of this gospel who had maybe lived around the area knew him personally. Jarius, a great guy. So he, he comes to Jesus with a need. He, he gets to him and, he, and Mark says that he saw Jesus and as he saw him, he ran and he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly. Jarius comes begging Jesus. Now this is, I mean, this is a bit of a reversal because if this is a man of high status and high esteem and here he is on his knees begging, it just, that doesn't seem necessarily proper for a man of, of, uh, of high status. And yet here he is with such a great need that he is pleading with Jesus. He believes something about Jesus and he seeks Jesus to remedy his problem. He says to him directly in verse 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. There it is. That's his need. His little girl, the girl he loves so much, his sweet daughter, she is about to die. And and so he says, come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. We can can empathize with this father, right? When my kids get sick, it it bothers me. It does not feel good. And, And here he is deeply concerned for his little girl who is facing death. She is at the point of death and he is, he is looking for any hope at all. Jairus is a man of faith. He believes that Christ can do something. He, he implores and says to him, you just come lay your hands on her so that she will be made well, so that she will live. That's his hope that Jesus can do that, that he will do that. And so he makes the, the plea. He makes the request. Mark very briefly says, Jesus went with him. Jesus agreed and said, yes, let's go. They move on. So now let's get into the, let's feel the movement here, all right? There's a crowd surrounding them. Jairus comes, he pleads with Jesus, and Jesus is like, yep, let's go. And so they start moving towards Jairus' house. And we don't know how long of a journey that would be or how far it was, but they are just moving. They're, they're headed in the right direction. And yet, all of a sudden, the, the brakes are pulled. Another person shows up, and everything is stopped. Mark keeps telling us that a great crowd followed him. So everybody's going. There's people just surrounding Jesus. You can just imagine the noise and the clatter, people making requests, asking questions. And and Jairus is probably like, let's go. Let's be urgent about this. Like no delays, hurry up. And verse 25, we, we meet another person. Here we meet a woman who is described as having a discharge of blood for 12 years. She is suffering physically and has been for well over a decade. Her condition is is very desperate. And and Mark tells us that this, this suffering has impacted every part of her life, not just physically, but socially, emotionally, spiritually, even financially. She suffered, Mark says, under many physicians, I mean, she went to any doctor that she could find looking for an answer, looking for help, looking for a remedy. And I think even in the way that Mark describes this, not only did she look in and and seek any doctor that could help her with this and finding no remedy or answer, she was a victim of malpractice by these doctors as well. She suffered under them. They didn't treat her well. She wasn't cared for. She wasn't treated well. The healthcare system broke down for this woman in her life. And it brought her to financial ruin. Mark says that she spent all that she had. She she emptied the savings account. She went into deep debt, if you will. She she spent everything she could to find an answer. And the emotional toll of that took its toll as well. She was no better, but rather grew worse. 
Her hemorrhaging just got worse and worse and worse. There was no remedy, no help. And all of this put her into a really bad, shameful social position. The Jewish, the Jewish law indicated that anyone, any woman who was suffering a disease like this woman was considered ceremonially unclean. She, she was not allowed to go into a synagogue or into the, the temple to offer sacrifices to the Lord to worship. So she felt a spiritual ostracism as well. She couldn't be near God in her mind. She couldn't draw close to him. God was holding her at arm's length. The people were also holding her at arm's length. The Old Testament law said that the woman in this condition, she couldn't even touch somebody else or they would become unclean as well. So she's just, she's just shamed all over the place. Suffering, broken, estranged, humiliated. I want us to just recognize that, that this is what happens when disease hits our lives. Physical sickness, it breaks us down and dehumanizes us. When you get ill, you're robbed of your dignity as a human being. Every time I go to a hospital, I'm reminded of this. It's not a place where strong people are just bouncing off the walls and, and showing their might and their full health. They're wearing gowns and, and have IVs and, and things connected to them and monitors. And, and, you, and you sense and you see their brokenness. Sickness robs us of the, the dignity that God made us to have as human beings, of, of strength and health and life. This woman has felt that. We feel that in our own sicknesses and when disease hits our life, when, when cancer robs us of everything. So again, the question is, oh, how would Jesus deal with this disease? How would he deal with this sickness? Well, Jesus isn't really approached the way with this woman that he was with Jairus. This woman doesn't come right up to him and say, I'm in need, help, heal me, can you do something? This, this woman kind of secretly goes to Jesus, right? Because she's afraid of the shame that is upon her. She knows that she's, she's unclean. She's supposed to be on the outskirts, like not associating with anybody. People perceive her as, as a horrible person just because of her illness. So her being there in the midst of the crowd is a really, uh, really tenuous place for her to be. But she believes something about Jesus as well. It says in verse 27 that she had heard the reports about Jesus. Word got to her through one way or another that Jesus had been healing people, that Jesus had been proclaiming that he is the son of God, that Jesus had been feeding multitudes miraculously by his power, that Jesus had made the blind to see, he had cast out demons. There was something about Jesus that she was hearing and that she was believing. She heard these reports or heard this word about Jesus. And so she, she reasoned in her own mind, this is what verse 28 says, she reasoned in her mind that she, if she just got a hand on him, she could just touch his garments, she would be made well. So it says she came up behind him. She snuck up on Jesus, as it were, to touch him. Just to, just to put a hand on his, on his cloak, believing that, that from him, just Jesus himself, by his power, by who he was, he didn't have to say anything to her. He could just, she could just touch him and she would be healed. So she does it. She, she sneaks up. She touches his garment. And verse 29 says, immediately, right away, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Her wholeness just hit all of her. She was restored immediately, fully healed. 
Her body had energy and strength to it that it hadn't had in years. She was miraculously rescued from that disease. But she just doesn't, go, she doesn't get to touch Jesus and then kind of walk off anonymously, unknown. Jesus perceives something. He, he perceived in himself, Mark says, that the power had gone out from him. And so immediately he turns in the crowd and he says, who touched my garments? Now, now remember here, this isn't just a crowd of like five people walking around where it's like, well, it was you, right? Like this is hundreds of maybe even thousands of people around Jesus. They are all reaching out, touching out. Like, activity is happening. So for Jesus to stop, and the disciples are like, what are you doing? For Jesus to stop and ask this question, it really just kind of blows our mind. He, he stops and he asks his questions, and the disciples are like, wait, what? And you see the crowd pressing on him. Like, everybody's surrounding you. Everybody's touching you. And you're asking, who touched you? We all did, Jesus. Okay, like, let's keep moving. That's the urgency here of this story, right? Jairus' daughter is at the de- door of death. She's the one who needs healing. Let's keep going. And Jesus stops and he's like, who touched me? I sense power left. And think about what is said here in verse 32. He looked around to see who had done it. I mean, Jesus stops in his tracks and he begins to look face to face to face to face to face with with everyone right around him in the crowd. I mean, he Put yourself in this woman's shoes. Can you imagine the piercing gaze? Like, all of a sudden you may feel like, oh, am I in trouble? <laughs> is he going to reverse this all because of what I've done? I mean, this might be a tense moment. He looked around, and the woman, knowing what had happened to her, finally owns up. I think Jesus met his gaze with her, and she broke. So she came in fear and trembling. She doesn't know how Jesus is going to respond. She doesn't know what he's going to say. She knows that she is ceremonially unclean. She is a societal outcast. And she has, she has touched a holy, clean man. This could be the end for her. She came and trembled and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And you think about what she would say to him. I believed, I've been, I've been wrecked with this disease for 12 years, no healing. I mean, I've, I've lost everything. I don't even know where to turn, but I heard about you. I believe you are, you're the Lord. And so you, so you could do something. And so I just, I thought if I touched your garments, it would, I would be healed. And I was. How does Jesus answer her? He restores her dignity. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. I mean, Jesus deals with her disease by healing her. He restores dignity to her. He doesn't shame her. He honors her. He he looked for her. I mean, just think about how he honored this woman and how he showed her dignity. He went looking for her because he loved her. He wanted her to be known and to be seen. Furthermore, he identifies her. He, he calls her daughter. Woman, you're part of the family. You're loved. He uses a very gracious, very gentle, very loving term of endearment f- to her for him. And, and then he proclaims, you've believed. And that's wonderful. Your faith has made you well. 
So get this, this unknown, poor, outcast woman is all of a sudden dignified and honored by Jesus. She is healed and she is blessed. He proclaims his peace over her because of her faith. This is how Jesus, when he deals with disease, this is what he does. When disease robs us of dignity and dehumanizes us and destroys our life, Jesus' authority is greater and he undoes what disease does. He makes whole. The story doesn't end here, right? We, we're stopped and we're like, wow, that's amazing. But we've got a, a desperate father on our hands. And he's got a daughter that's about to die. And he's like, let's get this train moving again. We've got to get there quickly. But it seems it's too late. The story keeps moving on, but, but it doesn't move in that way. It's, Mark says that while Jesus was still speaking to this woman, this this woman that many in society would say, why did you even give her a, the time of day while Jesus was still speaking to her? Some folks, some messengers came from the ruler's house and they just tell Jairus, like, your daughter is dead. She's, she's gone. So let's, let's all go home. We don't need to bother the teacher anymore. Don't, uh, don't engage Jesus any longer. There's nothing you can do, right? Because death always wins. Death has a perfect record. And when death comes, there's nothing more you can do. In their minds, there was no more need for Jesus. But Jesus has authority over death. He's unlike any one of us. Mark says that when he overheard what they said, and the word that Mark uses there for overhearing has the idea of Jesus heard it, and he was like, are you kidding me? Like, so, that's so false. It's the idea of even refuting as false or ignoring what he said. When he heard that they had said, you know, don't bother Jesus anymore. Jesus turns and he says to Jairus, he looks him in the eye and he says, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Believe in me. Jesus calls Jairus to great faith in himself. He, he seeks to encourage and fortify the faith that Jairus began with. He says, hey, you may think that death is the last word. Don't be afraid. You just believe me. You trust me. Jerry says, okay. Jesus takes his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He goes to Jerry's home. When he gets there, the home is just, it's a cacophony of mourning and noise. Jews in that day were encouraged to hire professional mourners. As soon as a person died, one rabbi said that even the poorest person in Israel should hire at least two flute players and one wailing woman. Just to, just to let the community know death is here. We've lost. The game is over. And so these professional mourners are there, and they are just weeping, wailing loudly. Death always wins. And so it seems in this case that that is the right thing. And yet we forget, Jairus has forgotten who Jesus is. And Jesus is there. And when Jesus is present, when he is there, death doesn't hold a chance. He, he asks the question, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. He's asking them a question of faith because he is the king and he is the one who rules and reigns over all things. He's asking them this question of faith. He's basically saying to them, with, with me present here, why are you weeping and wailing like there's no hope, like there's nothing I can do? It's as if she's just sleeping to me. I, Jesus is saying, I have the power to handle death. I have the power to make her alive again. But they can't perceive that. Right? They've just called Jesus the teacher. That's all he is, just a, just a Bible guy. 
telling good things about God, but, but no real power or authority. They don't believe that Jesus reigns even over death. So Jesus kicks them out, sends them all away. He takes the child's father and mother, Jairus and his wife, and these three disciples, and they go into the room where this dead little girl is. What's he do? Well, here's where we see that Jesus deals with death, and the way that he deals with death is by bringing and making life resurrected. He gives life again. When Jesus deals with death, life is resurrected. He he takes the girl's hand in his own, and he speaks to her in Aramaic. Mark's translation of Jesus' words are full of his authority. Jesus says just a few short things. Two words in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, with deep meaning. Little girl, he says to her. Again, tender, like a father would. Little girl, I say to you, so there's Jesus' authority. I say to you, arise, live. His words, his, his words work. He commands her to life again. And as he speaks this to her, she gets up, she lives. Jesus, like here's the evidence, right? Jesus speaks and it happens. Immediately, the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. Would you see she's vibrant, she's alive. Death doesn't get the final word because Jesus rules and reigns over disease and death. He can command a lifeless 12-year-old girl to live again and she does. Death destroys, but Jesus makes alive again. The story here ends with awe and wonder. And here's how we see how Jesus' rule and reign over death and disease is received. How does the world, how, how do those looking in see Jesus and what he does, who he is? They were immediately overcome with amazement, the end of verse 42 tells us. I mean, is it, it's obvious, isn't it? Death is such a defeater that it has a perfect record. Everyone dies. I, I can't go into a morgue today Take a dead person by the hand and say, I say to you, get up, arise. And that happens. I don't have that kind of authority. I don't have that kind of power. And yet, when, when someone does come on the scene and demonstrates that kind of power and authority, and we should take smart, Mark's word here as true, we should be asking, who is this? Who has that kind of a power and authority? Who can, who can demonstrate that kind of of rule over death itself. That's what Jesus is claiming. That's who he is proclaiming himself to be. He is the one who has authority over all things, even death, even disease. And so when we see that, we should stand in awe of him. When we consider who Jesus is, we should be amazed. We should be stunned. We should be overwhelmed to be in his presence. We should be asking ourselves the question that Mark has been prompting us to ask all along. Who is, who is he? Who is Jesus? And so when we, when we weigh out who he is based on what he has said and based on what he has done, we, we've got to make a conclusion. We've, we've got to come to, answer, to an answer. And here's where I want us to, to think about where this passage hits the road in our own lives. If we're fair with this passage, it does present a tricky situation for us. We may say, well, okay, if Jesus has authority over disease and death, 
Then why doesn't he deal with my disease? Why, why doesn't he rescue from death in our lives? Like, we're still dying. We're still getting sick. What, what's going on? I mean, does Jesus really have the power to deal with death and disease? You have loved ones in your life that have died, just like Jairus' little girl. And, and you may ask, like, where was, where was Jesus for that? Does he not care? Or maybe you know people, maybe you yourself have been diagnosed with, with a disease that your body has been fighting for years and years, and there's, like, there's no health. And so you, you, you're wrestling with this, right? Does this passage, is it false? Like, what do we think about Jesus here? And, and the tricky thing is that we come up with, with one of two answers. We think because we're not experiencing Jesus' deliverance from and his healing from death and disease. We think the problem is either with us or the problem is with Jesus. If we, if we believe the problem is with us, we, we usually say, well, it's probably, or we're told anyway, your faith isn't big enough. That's how we're taught. You know, that, that if, if we're not seeing healing in our life, if we're not seeing recovery from death, well, you didn't believe deep enough. You didn't believe big enough or good enough for Jesus to heal you. Or we're told or we're, we come to think, well, I wasn't a good enough person. Like, I wasn't worthy enough for Jesus to heal me. Like, I've, yeah, I've been kind of backsliding and, you know, living my own way. And, you know, Jesus isn't going to heal me until I'm, like, perfect and, and really a religious, holy person. And then Jesus will take care of me. That's one way we think about it. The other way is we go the other direction and say, well, the problem isn't us. The problem is Jesus. Like, I don't think this is true at all. And, and so in our minds, we begin to lose faith and we doubt who Jesus is and we may even walk away from him. But I want us to think deeply again about what this passage is showing us here. This is an exhibit for us. It is, it is a display of Jesus's power. Mark is telling us who Jesus is, and he is telling us that Jesus has the sovereign power over all sickness, over death, and that when Jesus deals with disease and death, he always wins. He's never lost. The question really changes. I think the question that we should ask as we think about this for our own lives is, will Jesus deal with my own disease and death? We just need to turn it and look at ourselves and say, okay, what about me? Will Jesus deal with disease and death in my life? And to answer that, I want to give you Jesus' words, the words that he gave to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. If you want Jesus to, he will. But you have to trust him and believe in him and have your trust in his timing and his way. Here's how I'll answer this. You see, the reality is, is that Jesus has dealt with disease and death for us. He took the incurable disease of our sin by becoming a human man like us in every way, yet without sin. And Jesus suffered the pain and alienation and humiliation and the loss of dignity on our behalf. He did that when he took it and he took our sin upon himself on the cross. Jesus gave up the dignity of heaven to come and to live among us and stand in our place for us. And Jesus, the eternal, holy God, suffered and died because of our sin 
on that cross. The one who should never have died, the eternal one, lost his life for our sake, laid it down in our place for our sin. Death gave a blow that put Jesus in the grave. Yet because he rules and reigns over death and disease, Jesus triumphed, he conquered, he rose from the dead on the third day, never to die again, so that all the world would see him and be amazed and stand in awe of him forever. He conquered death, and one day, here's the Christian hope that we have, one day he will return again, and he will put death in the grave forever. There will be no more pain or suffering or sickness or death. When Jesus comes again, he will make all things new. Jesus dealt with disease and death ultimately for us. And he says, if you believe in me, even though you may get sick, even though your body may decay and may break down, even though you may face horrible diseases, even though you may die, yet you will never be forsaken. In fact, every person who trusts and hopes in Jesus Christ, who believes that he is the sovereign king who rules and reigns over all things, the Christian hope is that you will be raised to life again with Jesus when he comes again. So yeah, you may go through this little momentary time of suffering and affliction and even death, but you will be victorious and you will conquer because Jesus has conquered for you. Death and disease will not ultimately triumph in your life if your hope and your trust is in Christ. Everyone who trusts in Jesus will be healed. Everyone who hopes in him will be raised to life again. That is because he is the king. Disease and death, they aren't more powerful than him. He rules and reigns over disease and death. And do you believe this about Jesus? Do you believe him? Friends, have you put your faith, even faith that is small and childlike, faith that says, if I just reach out to him and touch his garment, faith that says, if I just ask him to come to me, do you, have you put your faith in him to be your king? If so, Jesus has dealt with the disease and sin and uh, dealt a defeat to death on your behalf. And the day is coming when he will deal with every disease and every sickness and raise you up to eternal life with him forever. So do not fear. Do not fear. Just believe. Believe Jesus is the king. Believe Jesus is the savior. He is God. Believe that he has come and lived a perfect life for you, died on your behalf, was raised to life again to give you life with him forever. Believe in him with all your heart for all your life. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are, that you've come for weak, poor, diseased people like us. Thank you that you came and Face the shame that sin has brought upon us all. You died taking death on for us. And you were raised to life so that everyone who trusts and hopes in you will have life with you forever. Thank you for who you are. Lord, give us grace and and help us to not be afraid, but to believe and to trust in you. Increase our faith. 
Thank you for your rescue and your love for us. Help us not to fear, but to believe in you, we pray. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.